I have the privilege of bringing the lesson here this morning and hanging out with you guys, and I am excited about that. I'm looking forward to sharing what, uh, kind of taking it a little further on what Steve and Todd have shared the last couple of weeks on the treasure principle. And uh, before I do, a couple of things. One, uh, Sarah Bashai, I don't usually do birthdays, but 18 is a big deal. 18. So Sarah Bashai, uh, stand on up for us, Sarah. Happy birthday, Sarah. Eighteen. I actually have the twin brother. I'm looking for him. I don't. Is he here? Mark? He's not here. So that's why I didn't say the twin brother. But you blew my game right there. Thanks so much. Hey, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch the Olympics, but I hope you've watched some of them. I hope you've seen some of the amazing things. I mean, look. I I know you know. There's there's Sean. Sean White. He did what he did. At 32 years old, to everybody, he's old. And I'm thinking, okay, more power to you guys. He's not old to me, not at all. But Sean White did his thing. Michaela uh, Schifrin did her thing. She did a great job. And then Lindsay kind of did her thing. But, you know, amen, that's all good. But let me tell you what about a couple of cool things. What about the women's hockey team, amen? Right on. If you're Canadian, bummer for you this year. Bummer for you. And then, uh, you know, something that was even more amazing is uh, the ladies, was the ladies cross-country skiing? The first time ever that we've ever won a, go- a, a medal, much a medal, a medal in cross-country skiing, much less ladies cross-country skiing, much less a gold medal. So that was even more amazing. And just to see the attitudes of those two girls when they gave their interview, I mean, what great hearts for sure. But then, the man's man sport, man's man sport, we know what that is. And when I was thinking about, we were singing Lead Me to the Rock, I was thinking about curling right there. Curling, baby. Men's curling, going for gold right there. Oh, my goodness. I was watching the whole thing. And Trey, at some points, was sitting right next to me. He's like, Dad, calm down. It's curling. No, no taste. No taste at all whatsoever. My goodness. Anyway, I've enjoyed watching uh, the Olympics. I hope you have. And uh, I look forward to watching even more for sure. We're going to uh, get right into it here this morning. Uh, uh-oh, i got to turn this on, don't I? There we go. Boom. There we go. So we're going to start in John chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 1 through 13, and we're going to kind of read through it. I might stop a little bit and talk just a little bit about it, and then we'll kind of get deeper into our lesson. And it says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. I'm going to jump back for a second, just for a second. At this point, they're following him for what he can give them. That's kind of where they're at at this moment. And this really is, in many ways, the first stage of following Christ, is what he can do for you when you become a Christian. It's more that mentality when you're new as a disciple. But as you progress 
with him long enough, it's not the question will no longer be what can he do for you, but it's what can he do through you. And so hopefully as we progress, you know what, I'm going to take just one second right now. I'm going to ask you to take your phones out, and I'm going to ask you to turn the ringers off, please. Because it is a guarantee that right at the key point, Satan's going to call somebody, and it's going to ring. So please, please turn your ringers off right now. Thank you so, so much. And so it's not what he can do for you, but it's what can he do through you. And hopefully as we progress as disciples, as Christians, that that is the question, the statement, the way that we're living. And so Jesus is healing many and the crowds are coming. (laughs) Is somebody calling me right now to see if my ringer is on? Sarah Berry, you're a sinful sister. Wow. You're taking my time, just so you know. Wow, 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 wow. I get it. Okay. Let's continue on, please. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. He already had in mind what he was going to do. This right here could be a lesson unto itself. He already had in mind what he was going to do. You know, do you know something about Jesus? When Jesus was hanging on the cross and everybody was crying and weeping, thinking the light of the world was extinguished from this earth, He already knew what he was going to do, didn't he? When you're facing your challenges, church, when you're going through your issues, when you're in the muck, in the mire, in the junk, in the mess, he already knows what he's going to do to get you out of it. Boy, there weren't a whole lot of amens on that. I don't know if you're awake this morning. I heard you laugh, so I know you're awake at the laugh. But I'm hoping that you're more awake at the serious stuff as well. Because it is so true. we got to get this in our hearts. we got to get it inside of us. we got to realize that every situation in our life, he already knew what he was going to do through his mighty hand. And so Jesus, right here, is messing with Philip because he is the Messiah. Okay, I heard that one the other day. I thought I'd try it on you. I'll never do it again. There you go. And so Philip answers him, and, and, and in, in a sense, it almost seems like Philip kind of just waits for a minute. He thinks about it, and then he kind of steps out there and says, eight months' wages. Philip answers him right here and says, it would take more than eight months' wages to buy enough bread for each one to have even a crumb. And if you could picture the scene, there's 5,000 men, 
And these men, many of them brought their wives, and many of the wives brought the crumb-snatching kids with them. And so there's the husbands, the wives, the crumb-snatching kids, and they're all hanging out. But then Andrew chimes in right here. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? That right there could be a lesson. How far will they go among so many? Because Andrew's questioning it right now. He's questioning what would happen here. We go on. Jesus said, have all the people sit down. Be humble. Have a seat. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks. Hmm. Can you say thank you even when you think you don't have enough? Because that's what Jesus is doing right here. I can think about many times when I'm having a bunch of people over and we've got the food laid out and all of a sudden two or three or four more people show up and I'm thinking to myself, there's not going to be enough food for me. (laughs) I don't care about anybody else at that moment because I'm hangry. And I'm like, wait, wait a second here. Hold on. This is... I'm adding up the people, and this person's going to eat this much, that person, they'll eat that much. And and I'm like, wait, there's not, I'm not going to get anything here at all. Why did these people have to come? Why? And how many times, I don't know if you can agree, if you can relate to me, if you've been there. And it never fails, though. Every time I get up there, and there's plenty of food for me. Every time. And this is a similar situation right here. Jesus gives thanks. And oftentimes, we have a hard time giving thanks for just the minimal that we have. We have a hard time doing that. And so, in verse 10, it says there's plenty of grass, but they don't need grass. What they need is grub. And so we go on. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets are left over. 12 of them. Now right now, as I look out into this room, many of you are looking back at me thinking, I've heard this story a million times. I've read it. People have preached it. I've heard it again and again and again. And some of you are thinking, Alan, you didn't study anything this week. All you did was take some backyard basic Bible school little lesson and you said, let's do that this Sunday. Well, you think all you want, brothers and sisters. But one of the things I know, one of the things that I'm convinced of, when you hear Scripture, because the Bible never changes, does it? It never changes. It's always consistent. But we change. We go from season to season. We go from month to month. We go from week to week. Things change in our lives. Challenges come. Good times come. And there's things that we face. And so, I don't know about you, but when I read scriptures, sometimes I don't get anything out of them. But I go back to them, and it hits me completely different. 
And so I'm hoping that there's a few things that maybe I'll say this morning that hit you just a little bit different than they might have before. So when you look at something so simple as this passage that you've read for a million times, what happens is that it can unfold in new layers and new levels and new ways of meaning, not only from its background for which it's written, but in seasons of our life, we will see our needs differently, just what I just got done saying. And so maybe, just maybe, what we're going to talk about here this morning, what I think the driving point in this lesson is, is what to do when there just is not enough in our lives. That seems to be what they're talking about. How often do we think that there's just not enough? And we just talked about that a second ago. You know, there's an author that I stumbled upon, I don't know, about six months ago. And I stumbled upon her because uh, every once in a while I'll watch TED Talks. And her name is uh, Brene Brown. I don't know if any of you have heard of her, Brene Brown. Really cool lady. Got a lot of stuff going on as far as brains and knowledge and what have you. But her mantra, or a book she wrote, talked about the mantra of our day is never enough. We live in an age of never enough. And you wake up in the morning, think about this. You wake up in the morning and the first thought is what? I didn't get enough right or there's just not enough time to get ready for the day or when you get to the end of the day and you're going to bed my first thought sometimes is I didn't get enough done exactly or we earn a lot of money but a lot of times we don't have enough time to enjoy what we earn or the reciprocal is true we have an opportunity to enjoy our lives, but we feel like we don't have enough money to get out and do anything about it. But suffice to say, we live in this realm of never enough, never, never enough. But the more you look at it in light of what we're talking about these past, these next four weeks or the past two weeks and these next two weeks, and what I see here in many ways is something more powerful than just a basic a little get-together on a mountainside as powerful as this. It's the collision of more than enough and not enough. Stick with me and I'll show you what I mean. Think what God is trying to say to us here is when I put my spirit within you, when I take him that spirit and deposit him within you, when we say Jesus is Lord and we give our lives to Christ and we're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, we come up out of that water forgiven, no sins, and the spirit is in us. He says, I've given you my spirit. Not only have I given you my spirit, but I put my words on your lips. And in doing so, I've done more than not give you enough I've given you more than enough. And that's exactly what these two things are that's happening here. These two things that are colliding right at this moment. And so when you became a disciple, God works in us. He takes us and he says, I want you, Adam Smith, I want you, Janelle Rinky, to not just live in such a way as to think, wow, I'm trying to get up this hill. I'm trying to climb this hill. I can never seem to get to the top. I want you to grow in such a way as to think, 
I've got you right where I want you. Let's climb that hill together because I'm more than enough. I'm never not enough. Never not enough is the title of this lesson this morning. Never not enough, never not enough, never not enough. In a drought or a famine, he's never not enough. I will send you a bird to drop food right at your lap. He's never not enough. Go to your neighbors, get some buckets, get some whatever you need, because I'm going to put some oil in those buckets, and I'm going to keep putting those oil in the buckets. Get as many buckets as you can, because I'm never not enough is what he's saying to us. Never not enough. You know, I heard this statement once. Scarcity is not a situation. It's a sensation. Scarcity is not a situation. It's a sensation. It's how we feel is what brings about scarcity. Why? Because there can never be enough money to make you feel like you have enough until God becomes that enough. I thought at times that if enough people complimented me or complimented whoever, that I would feel secure and strengthened. But I realized that all the compliments in the world aren't going to change how I feel until I have enough faith in believing that God is never not enough in my life. Never not enough. And the longer I live, the longer I give my life to him, and the more I read his words, the more I realize there is no shortage in this world that can disconnect me from my supply. And that is God. And so what's going to happen right here in this passage, in this set of scriptures, verses 1 through 13, is the apostles are going to learn this. They're going to learn the same exact thing. So I've got two keys for you this morning. Well, I've got one this morning. And next week, I'm going to give you the second one. So this morning, we're going to talk about the first one. And then we're going to follow it up next week with just a little snippet of what we talked about this week. And then I'm going to add to it. And we're going to talk just a little bit more about the second key that I hope that these guys and that you guys get from what we're talking about in verses 1 through 13 in John chapter 6. Well, the first thing the disciples had to do if they were to receive what God promised us, because these promises, you got to understand, when you read the Bible, promises are optional. Well, I thought they were promises. No. Promises, yes, they are promises, but the promise is always attached to a principle. In other words, you cannot separate a promise from the process that creates it. Let me give you an example of that. Think of peace for a second. Think of peace. And God's saying, I promise to give you peace. But the process of peace is to keep your heart and mind focused on God, is it not? You don't just automatically get peace. In other words, you don't just look at Facebook every day and then get all the muck and the mire and the junk and stuff that's on Facebook and all of a sudden say, God, give me peace now. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. See, when we stay focused on God, 
The promise of peace comes from us opening this hand and him being willing to bless us with peace. And that's exactly what he wants us to do. Peace, peace is produced by a process. And I'm sure we all know this, but how often do we act on that? How often do we truly let that guide our lives? And so are his blessings, his provisions, if you will. And so that's what we're talking about right here. His blessings, his provisions, that's what we're talking about in verses 1 through 13. And so the first thing we must do in this process, the very first thing, and this is the very first key, is to do what many of us do even right now. But hopefully every day in our walk with God. And that's to lean in. Lean in. Lean in. Let me say this. This miracle that we find in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, is found in all four Gospels, which is kind of amazing to me. Because in a sense, when you read this, this miracle seems kind of insignificant. It's not one of the more powerful miracles. I don't, I don't mean to say that it's not some cool, amazing miracle, but to choose this one miracle to show up in all four Gospels. In Matthew's Gospel, he records it. In Mark's Gospel, he puts it in there. In Luke's and in John's as well. All four of them put this in their Gospels. And when we see people getting up off of stretchers, when Jesus just walks by, when we see little girls being raised from the dead, even Lazarus, when he's raised from the dead, didn't make it in all four Gospels. But this one did. A story about a little boy with barley bread. Barley bread of all things. The cheapest of all bread. It's not a cheese biscuit. It's not pumpernickel. It's not even Wonder Bread. How many of you remember eating Wonder Bread growing up? Oh, yeah. Wonder Bread, cheese, and, sal- and bologna. Those were my staples right there. It's none of these. It's just cheap barley bread, which is great. Not the barley bread, but the fact that it's in all four Gospels. This is great because John kind of leaves a little factoid out for us that we miss out on if we don't go and read the other ones. You see, Jesus takes his guys. And in verse 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore. And you think, well, this is a great time for Jesus to take his disciples over and go on a little retreat and go hang out and do their thing. But what we don't understand if we don't go outside of John and read Matthew, Mark, or Luke and their accounts is that John the Baptist... John the Baptist is just beheaded. The forerunner of Jesus, the guy who kind of starts the whole thing out, is just beheaded by a king who doesn't like what John the Baptist is saying. And so I'm sure that at this very moment, the disciples are kind of in disarray, kind of misunderstanding and, and not sure what's going on. Wait, Jesus, you're on the earth. John the Baptist is killing it on things, and all of a sudden he's gone. And so Jesus takes this moment, this opportunity, and says, look, let's get in the boat, 
Let's go on the other shore, and let's go hang out there. And so they get in the boat. They get to the other shore. They get out of the boat. They get up on the mountainside. They sit down, and no sooner do they sit down than a great crowd of people start coming up, which I'm sure in this room every mom can appreciate and understand that at any time when a mom gets five minutes on their own to go get cleaned up, Go take a break. Go read. Go have a cup of tea or whatever it is that you do just away from the kids. And no sooner did you sit down, pull the book up, get the tea with your little finger up just like that, did you hear a knock on the door. Mommy, I need you. Right about now, that's where Jesus is at. Tons of people coming. Wanting what he's got. And so here's Jesus on the mountainside. Probably getting ready to walk them through the craziness. And here come these people. If you're taking notes, write this down. Write this down right here. Your greatest opportunities will come at the most inconvenient times. Your greatest opportunities will always come at the most inconvenient times. You won't be in a good mood. You won't be ready. You won't feel ready. You won't have the money for it. You won't understand why with all the junk going on at that moment that God all of a sudden decides to put this person in your life to reach out to you or this situation in your life to deal with. You won't get it. But it's so true that our greatest opportunities will come at the most inconvenient times. Why? Because God will show up in a time of shortage to see, do you really trust me or do you trust stuff? Do you trust your life? Which is it? The disciples' first instinct here was what? Send them away. Send them away. But not Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm ready to heal anybody at any time. Bring the people to me. Matthew literally records that the disciples' first instinct was to send these people away. And so literally, you see the disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, we don't got time for this. We don't have the resources to deal with all these people. We're not sure what's going on right now. We just need you, Jesus, to sit down with us. And Jesus is like, no, no, we're going to take care of this right now. We're going to be here for these people. Remember, remember this. Remember this. There is often a temptation to send away the thing that God sent to supply you with the very thing that you prayed for. In other words, they followed him because they wanted to make a difference, didn't they? And at the first chance that they had to make a difference, what did they do? They sent him away. Why? Because they were thinking with this. They were thinking with this. They were putting this up, and they weren't thinking with this. They were missing this. And honestly, they hadn't quite figured out that he is never not enough. 
He's never not enough. Send them away. You know, it's crazy if they had. Not only would this miracle not have occurred, occurred, but they might not have had lunch either. Have you ever thought about that? Because it was the little boy's lunch who brought about the provision at the moment. It wasn't any of the disciples. Peter didn't pack a lunch and bring it with him. None of the disciples brought anything with them. And so it was the little boy who packed a sandwich, ergo fish, and some bread, barley bread of all that, of of anything else. Why do I point this out? Well, the provision was in the inconvenience. In other words, the blessing was in the inconvenience. It was what they wanted to go away that was carrying what they needed and signed up for in the first place. When you come to church, there's sometimes things that the minister will say up here that you'll lean into because you want your neighbor to hear it. You want the person next to you or your neighbor next door to you or any neighbor that you know across the way over there. Are you thinking of this person? Oh, I hope that person, I hope sister so-and-so heard what he just said. I hope brother so-and-so's got his ears on right now because you want your neighbor to hear it or you want your husband to hear it, wives, or you want your wives to hear it, husbands. And so you lean in and you listen just a little bit more in case they didn't hear it, you got it, so you can point it out to them. But you know what? When we lean in, can I tell you this? I'll tell you this right here. That the word we need the most in our lives is the one we resist the most. The word we need the most in our lives is the one we resist the most. You may cross your arms when one of us is standing up here saying something. You may look at us with evil eyes. I've had that happen a number of times. I see you. And for some reason, people don't think we see you guys out there. I'm not sure why, but I see you, Rob Morris. I see you looking at me with that scowl right now. Oh, not joking, just kidding. I'm joking, brother. But you might cross your arms at something we say, or you might look at us in an evil way, but, but that's the moment in time that you need to hear what it is we're saying, what it is that somebody up here is saying, what's being said. Why? Because even though it makes you uncomfortable, even though there might be conflict inside of you, it's that tension It's that moment that produces the most growth in your life. When you listen to it, when you're willing to hear it, the one that you fear the most is the one that releases growth in you the most. So a question I have for you this morning, and this is a serious question, church. Are you leaned in? Are you leaned in? to what we're doing here in the church this year? Are you leaned in to the direction 
that we're going and the things that we're doing. Are you leaned in? Because I don't think every one of you are, quite frankly. And it's really not hard to see. Because sometimes what happens is we come to church, we get here late, easy Frank, we get here late, we rush in, and we sit down in our chair, and we just kick back, and we kind of get this posture, and, and we're just sitting here waiting, okay, what's the preacher going to say to me now? And I don't know about these songs that we're singing here. I don't like them, and I can't wait to get out of here because there's a football game going on, and, and I need to get to the buffet, and I need to beat all the other churches there. And so we get here, and we just chill right here. We don't lean in. We kind of hold back. We hold back in a number of different things in our lives when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to the body here, when it comes to this church, we hold back our time. Because our time's not our own. We hold back our money. Oh, there it is. That's the word right there. Here we go, treasure principle part three. Talking about giving again. I'm leaning back, not leaning in. I came today but only because I wanted to see a few people. Do we lean in when it comes to giving of whatever giving we need to give? You know, Todd and Steve have done a great job the past couple of weeks before the marriage retreat talking about that. And I loved even what Steve shared a couple weeks ago. I went back and listened to his lesson a couple of different times. I loved hearing the different challenges he gave to us, the different way that he put it. And it is very true what the Bible talks about, about tithing and giving. And so when we talk about what we're talking about, what is your posture? Even right then when I brought up time and money, what was your posture? How did you respond? Did you cross your arms because it's not what you wanted to hear. But remember, the thing you need to hear the most is the thing that you want to hear the least. It's the thing that you need to lean in the furthest to. Lean in. Of course, of course we're going to talk about this stuff. Did you think we weren't going to stand up here and challenge you? Did you think we weren't going to stand up here and challenge us? This is just as much a challenge for me as it is for you, giving to God of my time. I want to do my own thing. I want to sit home and watch the Olympics instead of going out sometimes and studying the Bible with people or getting with somebody who's got marriage issues. I'm all about doing that stuff more than doing this stuff sometimes. And it's not that I don't love doing this, but when I do it, it's such a blessing on how it blesses my heart. And we miss out on that when we're not willing to give of our time. We're not willing to give of our money. We hold on. And we wonder, why, God, is there so many challenges? Why are the provisions not coming? Of course we're going to challenge you on this stuff. 
do we think Jesus is our Burger King? Have it our way? I think sometimes we do. I'm not sorry that I'm being a little hard line right now. And if you're visiting with us, it's in the Bible. I might not be using any scriptures right now that talks about giving to God. Stephen Todd covered plenty of that for me the last couple weeks. You've heard him. You know him. You realize that they make up more than most any other subject in the Bible. There's a reason why. Because God wants to see the posture of our hearts. Do we lean back? Do we sit back? Do we wait to see what happens? Or do we lean in? Do you lean in? Are we leaned in? Do we lean our bodies in? Are we willing to give of ourselves? Are we leaning in in who we are for God and for this church, this year, this life, till we go to heaven? Are we leaned in? And in leaning in, we're saying to him, he's never not enough. When we do that, when we believe that, because this is what he wanted the disciples to see, which is why he put this miracle in there four times, so that we could see who he is, and that when there's a collision of not enough and more than enough, we get never not enough. Never not enough. He wants our posture to be that. Because that's what the treasure principle is all about, isn't it? The posture of our hearts. And the posture of our hearts is most reflected in where we put our treasure. Where we put our treasure. So they had to lean in. That day, they had to lean in. And so do we. We have to lean in as well. And when we do, giving of who we are, is not as challenging anymore. It's just not. We don't hold back from him. And so today, I want you to leave here. I beg you, I plead with you to leave here. And while we take Lord's Supper, while we pray, while we meditate, I want you to meditate on how leaned in are you in these areas in the other areas that I didn't even bring up this morning. Let's pray to God. Father, thank you for this time to be with you. Grateful for your love. Grateful for your word. Grateful for your spirit. Grateful for the way you use us, the way you work through us, the way you bless us. And Father, I thank you for the ways that you remind us that you're never not enough. And you never will be unless we don't believe it, unless we lack the faith, unless we forget. But God, even as I say that, in this room we have so many faithful disciples, so many who have given their lives to you. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we forget. We forget who we are and whose we are. And Satan has a heyday with us. I pray, God, that even as we, we, we contemplate the challenges we face, we realize that you are right beside us every step of the way. 
We just got to be willing to have the faith and show you the faith. Take the steps. You're right there ready for us. Take the first steps. Give to you of who we are, of our lives. We thank you for your son who died on the cross. Who even though he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to you, God, not this way, any other way. He was willing to do what he did for us. We take of this Lord's Supper that way. I pray that we will meditate on where we are if we're leaning in or if we're leaning back. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.